John, the Gospel of John, not the uh, epistles of John towards the back of the Bible, but the Gospel of John. And uh, <clears throat> John the Beloved, you know, there's many Johns, several Johns in the Bible, um, but John the Beloved wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the epistles uh, of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote uh, the revelation that God gave him of Jesus Christ, or the book of Revelation. And um, we're going to be talking about John tonight, and I've just entitled this message, John the Apostle, an Old Man of God. John the Apostle, an Old Man of God. And I, I, I just feel in my heart that the Lord led me in this direction tonight. I felt, uh, you know, a stirring in my spirit. I know there's a lot of things going on in the world, and maybe you wanted to hear something about end times and all of that, but I'm going to tell you something. We don't have to preach end times if we stay right. I'm not saying we don't preach end times. I'm telling you, if we stay right, you don't have to worry about people not being right. Just preach. Just preach. He that has this hope purifies himself. Stays right and ready. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things uh, about end times that, that uh, people just don't know a lot about. And I'm going to tell you tonight, you'll hear 15 or 20 different opinions or interpretations or whatever. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach end times stuff, but I'm just telling you that I want to preach to the body of Christ. And what I feel in my heart right now that God is leading me is preach to the church to live before me right and you won't have to worry about an antichrist. We're not looking for an antichrist. We're looking for uh, the Christ. Amen? We're looking for Jesus. We're not looking for the one that's trying to counterfeit who Jesus is. The antichrist. But we're looking for Christ. And when he comes or calls, Brother Clinton always said, the Lord showed him and told him that whenever he begins to blow the trumpet or the trump of God begins to sound, he said all he's going to do is call his Holy Spirit home and everybody he's in is going. I thought, man, that's profound. So let's stay full of the Holy Ghost. Let's stay full of the Spirit of God. Now in John chapter 1, I want to pray and then we're going to read this. Um, John chapter 1, we're going to read the first to the 14th verse. And, uh, and then we'll get right into this. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the privilege and honor to come and to be here in your house Lord, I just love you tonight, and I appreciate you tonight, and I pray as we come to enter in that you will fill this house with your presence and your glory as we begin to open up the Word of God, that you'll bring understanding to us, that you'll, you'll speak to our hearts, you'll move us in our spirit, you'll convict us, and as the Bible says that the Spirit of God would come, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And lead and guide us into all paths of truth. Lord, I want to be led by your Spirit. And as the Word of God speaks to us tonight, Lord, see our life changed. Because we know that the Spirit of God is what sanctifies us. And Lord, help me tonight to speak this and get the message across. And Lord, let your Word have free course in this place and not return void. I ask your blessing upon it. Give me the tongue of the learned to speak a word in due season to the weary. And we'll give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now in John chapter 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same, I want you to notice it's capitalized, word, word, word. It's capitalized just like God is. Anytime you see the Spirit capitalized, the Word capitalized, Lord capitalized, God capitalized, you'll see that always is speaking of deity, always speaking of God. So it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist, not John the Beloved, two different Johns. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. 
He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's a tragic thing. But verse 12 gives us an, off, uh, an awesome hope. But as many as received him, even though those that he came to received him not, as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What he was saying is, just because... You know, you were a, just because you're Jewish doesn't necessarily mean that you're right with God. Amen? The Pharisees and the Sadducees rejected Jesus, but there were Gentiles that accepted Jesus. So he said, just because you were, you were born and you were in the lineage of Abraham, if you didn't have a saving faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then, you know, just because you were born in that bloodline doesn't mean that you have an automatic ticket to heaven. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he said he came to his own. They received him not. But there were those that did receive him. And as many as received him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. They weren't born of the of, of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. It's a spiritual birth. And he says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. The Word. He's God. In the beginning was the Word. But the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want to speak tonight on John, the Apostle, an old man of God. Today I did two funerals actually. A father that was 96 passed away. And some of you that uh, have been connected with Family Bible, there was Manuel Chaboya and his wife Connie, and they had a daughter. She passed away years ago, but her husband was 96, and he died about a month ago. And four days after he died, his son died. He was 63. He just fell over and, and just had a heart attack or something happened, and he passed within four days. And uh, so I was there today doing a dual funeral and uh, speaking and, and, and for both of them in two different grave sites. And it was just, uh, you know, a day. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful uh, because at first I, I, I was a little bit reluctant to do that. But the Lord is to, to, to do a funeral for somebody that I really didn't know is what I meant to say. And uh, but the Lord uh, really purposed in my heart and he said Jonathan you know you 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 have to you're you're fulfilling your call when you speak to people and you can't speak the gospel to them if you don't have an opportunity to be before them and every opportunity that you have you need to take and you need to seize that and so today I know not only for being able to minister the gospel at the funeral services, that was one reason why God opened that door for me or gave me that opportunity. But another opportunity was I sat there at the table after the funeral service and began to minister and talk to this couple. And it was a man uh, that was in church for a long period of time, and he sat there and he wept about the experience that he had at one time in God. And before the end of the conversation, he said, you know, me and Linda, we're going to come over to your church. Because I began to share with him testimony after testimony how God had changed people's lives. How He changed their lives. Because he said, I went to this church that my friend asked me to go to. And he said, the pastor spoke for a long time and he said nothing. He had nothing to say. He said it was a dead service. And he said, my friends were like, you're coming back, right? And he said, no, I'm not coming back. He said, I went to another friend's church and same thing. And he said, they were excited I was there. And they said, you're going to come back, right? And he said, no, I'm not coming back here either. He said, I, I've been touched by God. I know the real. I'm not going to go someplace where there's no life. And I said, well, brother, let me tell you something. At new life, there's life. I said, there's multitudes of people sitting in that room 
In that congregation, you'd never know it, but God delivered them of methamphetamines. You'd never know it, but God delivered them of alcoholism. You'd never know it, but God delivered them of perversion, homosexuality, lesbianism, all kinds of things. I said, God has delivered people in there, and there's one testimony after another. I said, there's multitudes of people. I say multitudes, but several people that have been incarcerated in the church. You wouldn't know it. I said, people that were criminals at one time, now they're taking up the offering because when God saves your soul he changes you you've got a testimony and that's when he said you know what me and Linda are coming I said well you bring Linda amen but I was just sharing with him about the multitude of changed lives and how our lives are testimonies because there's a story behind everybody's life there's a story behind every anointing there's a story behind every testimony. And isn't it amazing how God uses such different people? I was reading and looking through the Word of God, and it's so awesome to see how He used Peter. Now, we often read the latter part of Peter, but if you read the Gospels and the book of Acts, you read about Peter and Paul and James and John. You see them before they, they came to the place where God was really effectively using them. Peter was an impetuous activist. He was impulsive. He acted on impulse. That was the way Peter was. And we know he denied Christ and he was restored. But there was a lot of times he got ahead of God. He spoke before he should have spoken because he was an impetuous activist. Paul, the apostle, was, before he was an apostle, he was a rigid managerial visionary. If you want me to be honest with you, he was a despot. And some of you are saying, I don't know what a visionary is. I don't know what a despot is. Well, then I'll bring it down to a smaller scale. Imagine a miniature or smaller scale Vladimir Putin. He went about and he wanted to put people to death. He, he, he was a religious zealot. He was a zealot. He was zealous for religion. But what he didn't realize is that he was God's enemy when he was doing that. Well, God met him on the Damascus Road in the book of Acts chapter 9. And he began to get saved at that point. But he was a man who was rigidly driven with such, you know, uh, with such vehement rigidity and, 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 and against the people that were true believers. Well, God caught up with him and he got saved, thank God. And uh, James was a conservative traditionalist. If you read the book of James, you can tell that. You can see that. John, the one that we're talking about tonight, the beloved, was a man of deep intellectual meditation. He was somebody, and the reason I used chapter 1 of the Gospel of John as my opening text is because I wanted you to see the depth of what he understood about the love of God and who Christ was. We find out more about Christ and His deity in John's Gospel, I believe, than anywhere in the Bible. Uh, except for John's writings in First and Second and Third John and the book of Revelation. So the story of John, if you read it, you see he was known for towering intellect. He was a spiritual uh, person of great depth. He was a consecrated uh, uh, a man with an imagination that was very consecrated. In other words, he was a man that would ponder the things of God. He would dwell on the things of God. He had deep conviction concerning his private time with Jesus and learning about God. He had an encompassing love later on in his life that we read about and understand. His writings were in many ways different from the Apostle Paul's. They were revelation just like Paul was the, 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 the Apostle that wrote about the revelation of God's grace. But John wrote more about the revelation of God's love than any other Apostle. Both Paul and John are aspects of God's character full of doctrine and deep revelation. But nobody taught on love and the love of God like John did. And the love for God 
If you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you see that. The love for God. Now besides Jesus, John was the authority on teaching about God's love. And uh, the example, as I said, is John's gospel. Love is, his, is the central thread and theme in the book of John. And the gospel of John. I remember being a new Christian. And somebody told me, read the book of Mark. It's a 16 chapter capsulization of really the gospels. But it's a shorter version. You get through it. You understand just the main bullet points and you see them. But then you read the book of Matthew and that's more directed towards the Jewish uh, you know, nation, uh, and then you read John, and he brings out about the love of God. You read in the book of Luke, you see a lot of miracles in the book of Luke. And so they all have their purpose and, and what they're, uh, you know, supposed to accomplish and who they were written to. But all of that being said, if you read the Word of God, you see that John had a revelation of God's love and that was the central theme in his life and God used him in a mighty way. But John was not always like that. Are you ready for the Word of God? John was not always as loving as we read about in the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. John was called the Son of of thunder in Mark 3 verse 17. Now I know some of you probably think why would he be called the son of thunder? Well for good reason because he had a conviction but his conviction was without love or without compassion and grace and so it came out very harshly at times. Amen? I've seen people that were godly that truly loved God and they stood for their convictions. But their convictions sometimes, when they brought them out, they brought them out without any love or any grace or any compassion. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, that's any one of us. I remember ministering to, my peop to the people on my job. And I was, this was back in 1997, 98, 99, before I started the church. I was, I was very, very... Uh, direct, and we need to be truthful and direct, but you need to tell the truth with love. Amen? You don't grab the Bible and beat them over the head. You, you talk to them about their soul, and you tell them Jesus is the answer, but you don't want to turn them away. Well, John was called the sons of thunder because whenever he began to respond to situations that rubbed him the wrong way, he came across very thundering. He was vain and competitive, even sectarian or isolated in a sense that there's only us and our sect. And I'm going to give you scripture. In Mark chapter 9 verse 38, turn there with me. The Bible says this, Mark 38, 9, 38. It says, and John answered him saying, Master, <clears throat> we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And he followeth not us. And we forbid him because he followed not us. What he was saying is, he can't be used by you, Jesus, or use your name because he don't go to our church. I've heard people say, well, you know, they go on down there, you know, to the other church and you know they ain't right. I said, God's the one that determines that. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of places that are not right. But I will say this much. There are different pastors, different personalities, different specific ministries. Some pastors God has on a grander scale to minister to a broader audience. And, 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 and then there's pastors that have smaller churches because God wants them to specialize in certain things or whatever God adds to the church 
as the church can handle it, as the pastor can handle it, God adds to the church and He has His reasons why He does the things that He does. I've tried throughout 22 years to make the church grow like I wanted to too. And God said, I'm the one that adds to the church. If I give you 15, pastor 15. If I give you 200, pastor 200. If I want you to have 1,000, you're not going to market your way into 1,000. I'm the one that adds to the church. But John said, we saw somebody and they was casting out devils in your name, Jesus. And we told him, you knock it off. You don't belong to our group. Don't you dare use his name. Come on now. And what did Jesus say? He said, forbid them not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part or is for us. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. So John wasn't always lovey-dovey, ooey-gooey. There was a period of time where the son of thunder began to say to someone, I told him to stop casting out devils in your name, Jesus. Well, who else's name is he going to use? Because the seven sons of Sceva tried to cast out the devil in the name of Jesus who Paul knew. Well, the man obviously had to have known something about Jesus. And Jesus corrected that. But John was very vain. He was very competitive. He was very secretarian. And uh, Jesus responded to him and told him the way it was. How often we are harder on God's people than God is. We're harder on God's people than God is. That's why He said don't judge. Because you ain't qualified to judge. Nobody's qualified to judge. I've been places where people were like, you know what, yeah, I saw them the other day. They ain't right. I thought, you don't know if they're right or not. Amen. You cannot judge a person's heart. Now you can... You can know them by their fruits, the Bible says. And there's things on the external. But, you know, church, I'm going to tell you, we need to leave the judging up to God. Amen. We need to leave the judging up to God. Just share the word. And if God gives you an audience with somebody to talk to them, you should take that audience and you should minister to them. But I didn't get to finish what I was going to say earlier. I was at work and I had men that I was ministering to before I became a pastor. And I remember a man that there was one man that I ministered to that came to church with me. But there was another partner that was with me every day. And I remember him saying to me, he said, you know, he said, you talk a lot about God. He said, but you're the most judgmental Christian I've ever met in my life. And I thought, man, I'm telling you, I wanted to punch him. I said, I'm not judgmental. You ain't right. He said, it's exactly what I'm talking about right there. I don't want to hear you, Skiles. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So John wasn't always the loving person that we read about in the gospel. He often began to be harder on God's people than even Jesus was. So John had this unbecoming attitude unlike Jesus' nature. Now I'm setting the stage here. I'm painting a picture here for you because I'm going to bring something out. Another account that John had in Mark chapter 10 verse 35 was he began to say with James, James and John the sons of Zebedee which were the sons of thunder came unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Well, let me tell you something. There are things that God will do and give you that are the desires of your heart, but there are things that He will not give you because they're not His desires. So you cannot pray for things and and, and, and claim, name it and claim it, or, or speak it into existence whenever it's not God's will. You can't ask God to bless your will. He will bless what the desire of your heart is when it's His desire. Amen? If our ways please the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. But, but I also know this, there's things that we pray for that is not the will of God. And so, 
But John and James came and they said, We ask you that you give us whatsoever we desire. And Jesus said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? He didn't say yes. He just asked them, Spill it. Tell me what you want. And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand in thy glory. And Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. You don't even realize what you're asking, boys. He said, Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they spoke up and they said unto him, We can! Be careful what you say. Amen. Amen. Because what you so proclaim... And, and, and I'm going to say in confidence, but sometimes people have a self-seeking pride that they don't realize is there. And if you got pride, you're going to proclaim a lot of things. But whenever you got humility coming from you, you're going to be very careful what you say before you say it. I wrote this down. Humble people usually realize the cost, and so they keep their mouth shut. Well, shouldn't we want to sit on the left hand or the right hand? That's up to God. That's not something that comes from self-seeking. Besides, I know this much. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne. And He said, you don't realize what you're asking. And they said, we, we'll be baptized like you said. We'll drink of that cup. And He said, you don't realize what you're asking, but you are going to go through it. Amen. You are going to go through it. And uh, so reading this, I thought, Lord, how they were self-seeking, how they were judgmental and vain and very, uh, you know, secretarian like they were with the man that was trying to cast out the devil. There was another account whenever in Luke chapter 9 verse 54, and I'm giving you scripture here so that, you know, I'm not preaching something that's not there. But in Luke 9, verse 54, the Bible says this, and this is when Jesus went to Samaria, and He was trying to get into the city to to preach and minister to them, and they stopped Him, and they said, no, because you were going to go to Jerusalem, we don't want you to come in here. Can you imagine rejecting Jesus from having a revival meeting? Think about that. I mean, if Jesus wanted to walk in, if Jesus walked into the church and he said, I just wanted to come and see if I could just come be in service with you, I'd go, take the mic, Jesus. I told Brother Talbert, I told Brother Turner, I told Pastor Friday, I've told great men of God that have poured into my lease ship. I said, you come in this church, I don't care if I got a message, I'm giving you the mic. I want you to preach. If you anytime, Daryl said, Can I come here? I said, anytime you come to California, I said, I want you to preach in my church. Anytime. If you show up, Brother Talbert said, I just want to come sit. I said, You're not going to come sit. You're going to preach. Pastor Friday's going to be here on the 27th. I know we said the 13th, but we changed dates. Uh, that got changed. And so he's coming on the 27th on a Sunday morning. And um but he's going to be here. But I told him, you have an open pulpit anytime. You understand? You're a man of God. I have great confidence in you. You're a spiritual father to me. Come. You can preach. Great men of God. But getting back to what I was going to say here, the Samaritans rejected Jesus from coming and in doing any great miracle. And the Bible says they forbid him not I'm sorry, let me go down here. And the Bible says, And he sent messengers before his face, verse 52, Luke 9, And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and he rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. That was the greater, I don't want to use the word punishment, but but tragedy of the Samaritans is that Jesus went into another village. He went to another church. 
because you didn't want him. I can tell you, John did not have all of that love throughout his time in the Gospels while he was, you know, uh, with Jesus being recorded. We read this about John and we read John's Gospel and his epistles and we see there was a drastic change in the person he became from the person that we've just read about and the way that he responded and acted. He had been with Jesus. That is what changed him. He had been with Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We become conformed to the image of Christ by beholding Him. You understand? You become like the people that you hang around with. It's a fact. If you hang around with people that gossip all the time, you're going to get caught up in that too. If you are around people that, you know, all they ever talk about is whatever, politics or sports or what, you're, you're going to become what you hang around with. You hang around with people that love to talk about God, that's what you're going to become. And ultimately, spiritually, when we behold Christ and we're in His presence, we become like Him. We are changed and conformed as we behold Him from glory to glory. And I wrote this down. We are ever changed by His ever increasing glory in our lives as we behold Him. John changed progressively from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And you know, I love it because at, at, at the end of his life, when he was writing the epistles, the very first chapter of, of the first epistle of John is one of my most favorite scriptures. It's what God gave me whenever I got healed from falling off that 20-foot ladder and landing on my head. And it is, that which we have heard and seen, we declare unto you. We touched Him. We felt Him. We saw Him. The, the very Christ was manifested in front of us. And we declare Him unto you. That your joy may be full. That you may have what we have. That's what he was saying unto them in the first epistle of John. So he was changed. People say, how did he become this person that he was that we read about in the Gospels? Uh, even in the Gospel of John, he recorded the negative things about himself. How do we, how do we go from that place and that John to where he is in the Gospel of John? And in the epistles of John, because he had been with Jesus. Clearly, periodly, he had been with Jesus. As he was near to Jesus. And this is the work of sanctification. And church, let me tell you something. It's a lifelong process. One time in the jail, a Catholic priest stood up, and I'm not slamming anybody, I'm just telling you, he was a Catholic priest. He stood up and he said, you know, I'm 77 years old, and he said, I just about got to a place where I just don't sin anymore. And I thought, Lord, when a person gets to that place, they really got a lot more on them than they realize. What am I saying to you? I'm not here. It could have been a preacher. Could have been a, any kind of a denominational preacher. I'm telling you, people come to a place because when you try to work your way to heaven, whoever you are, you're, you're going to come to that place where you feel like you've attained something and you haven't attained nothing because you cannot work your way to heaven. The Bible says it's by grace that we're saved through faith. We have to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He fills us with His Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ and sanctify us. And that's what happened to John. John, from one glorious spiritual experience to the next, throughout his lifetime, God changed him and made him who he was that we read about in the Gospel. The loving man, the caring man, 
The man who had a revelation of love like nobody did. And this is the whole plan of God and the will of God in our lives. You know, in 1 Corinthians, and I'm giving you a lot of Scripture. I'm not going to be here all night. But I want you to get these Scriptures down. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49, the Bible says this. It says, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. God wants us to bear the image of His Son. Because I can tell you, Before we came to Christ, we only bore the image of the devil. We only bore the image of the Adamic nature. But when Christ comes in, He makes us a new creature in Christ. You know, I love that scripture where we read about the creation. We read about how God created the heavens and the earth. He created the the sun and the moon and the stars and the days and the light. He created the fish of the the sea and the fowl of the air and the the creeping things and the beasts of the field. He created every tree. He created man and woman. He created us in His image. And somebody said, and God stopped creating. I said, He took a Sabbath. But let me tell you, He's still creating. He's still creating in us a clean heart. He's still creating new creatures. Amen. In Christ Jesus, He's still making withered hands come forth putting eyeballs in people and healing their broken bodies. He's still creating. Amen. When there's a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread, He's multiplying that to feed thousands and take up 12 baskets of fragments. He's still creating. He's still creating, church. And He's creating in us and conforming in us by His Spirit the nature and character of Jesus. And thank God He is because if He wasn't, we'd be a sorry state. I look around this room and my wife can look at me and we can say, I knew them Before they became who they are today. Amen. We're not perfected. We haven't arrived. But I remember her. Before she's where she is today. She remembers me. Before I am where I am today. We're not perfect. But I can tell you we're not where we used to be. We're not who we used to be. Nina's not who she used to be. Amen. I knew Nina back at Living Waters in the 90s. Amen. And and she has come a long way. Amen. God has touched her, saved her, delivered her. Amen. I remember Justin before he became who God made him who he is today. Amen. Amen. I look around the room and I think, my Lord, I'm looking and I'm thanking God for what He's done in people's lives. I remember Jeremy when he walked through the door and his interest wasn't Jesus, it was Noemi. And I said, sis, I'm going to tell you right now, if he don't want Jesus, you don't want him. She said, I know, Pastor, that's why I brought him. Amen. One long Jeremy's down there in the front, got his hands in the air, and Delia's praying for him, and we got him prayed through. Amen. Amen. He's saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, loves God. Amen. Loves God. Loves God. And I, I, but I knew him before that. I knew him whenever his interest was just natural and worldly. But now he's got a spiritual desire. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying us. That's what happened to John. We aren't just to bear the image of the earthy, but we're to bear the image of the heavenly, the image of Christ. Amen. Amen. And uh, I've been reading an old Puritan named John Owens. I mean, he's, he's old. Amen. We're talking 14, 15, 1600s. But he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. And oh my goodness, it's tough. It's a tough read. Not because it's difficult to read, but you read uh, two pages and you're like, i got to pray. Amen. Them fellows, let me tell you, they didn't mess around. They didn't tiptoe through the tulips. They just loaded the gospel gun and they shot. 
Amen. They didn't care. And we shouldn't care either. We have to preach and minister with no apologies. But he was tough. He's tough. Not because the old Puritan was dogmatic or rigid, but he used a lot of Bible. I said, I've never seen so much Scripture used. I didn't even know that Scripture was there. (laughs) He was talking about how that we have to mortify the deeds of this flesh and this body. And he brought out the scripture that I've quoted myself. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? He said it's a lifelong experience of God and process of God sanctifying us as Christians and conforming us and making us into the image of Christ. And he said, because we got a body of death. This is a body of death. The only reason this body does what it's supposed to do and be what it's supposed to be is because the Holy Ghost in me told it that's what it's going to do. Did you all hear me? You get filled with the Spirit of God, you'll tell that body exactly what it's going to do. You'll tell it when it's going to eat, when it's not going to eat. You'll tell it what it's going to look at, what it's not going to look at. You'll tell it what it's going to say, what the Spirit of God in you will say. Don't say that. It takes more of the Holy Ghost to keep your mouth shut than it does to speak. Amen. Sometimes you need the Holy Ghost just to zip it. Mm -hmm. Ain't you got something to say, Pastor? No. Holy Ghost told me just to stand here and smile and nod. Amen. Praise the Lord. You get yourself in trouble. I said it the other day. Somebody said, I, they said to me one time, I just wanted to give them a piece of my mind. I said, please don't do that. There won't be a thing left. You get it. We have to mortify the deeds of this flesh. And I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture. Colossians 3, I believe. It's my last Scripture. Yes. Colossians 3. You know, you, you, you don't have to even do an in-depth study. A lot of times people are wanting to do an in-depth study. Just start reading. Just read the Bible. Just it, you, know, you, you can't pick one pet Scripture. And I know us preachers will take a Scripture and we'll preach on that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we, we go through the Word of God, and a lot of times people are trying to extract one word from a passage. Just read the whole chapter. It's there. He said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, Colossians 3, 2, and not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. So then he goes on to say in verse 5, Mortify therefore, or put to death, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. A lot of that is sexual sin. A lot of it is just sins that are vices in the body and of the flesh. Amen. But he said, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So anything sensual, anything erotic that is outside of the guise of marriage between a man and a woman... It's fornication. It's sinful. We ought to keep ourselves pure. The Bible says that. Keep yourself from covetousness or inordinate affection. In other words, an affection for somebody or something that God does not allow. You say, well, I, I just, I've seen men that said, you know, I have my wife. I've been married for 25 years or 30 years. But I just, I just have these deep feelings for this woman at work. And I said, well, that's an inordinate affection. And you can't have that. But, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I said, I'll tell you exactly what to do. Forget and lose her. Not forget. Lose her phone number. Don't talk to her. Don't sit by her. Don't have lunch with her. Don't be sending her text messages. Get on your face and fast and pray and say, Lord, take these feelings away and give me the love that I'm supposed to have for the woman that I made vows to 30 years ago. I just can't do it. I said, you have to do it. 
or you'll be in total disobedience and rebellion to God. Inordinate affection is any affection that God says no. Amen. When I got married to Sister Skiles, he said, that's your wife. That's your wife. You're one. That's your wife. Amen. She's yours. You're hers. That's the way it's supposed to be. But anything outside of that is an inordinate affection. And you can have it for a lot of people. I'm going to tell you, God wants us to have pure minds. And the things that he says are lawful and ordained are all right. But anything outside of that is sinful. Amen. And so, but the thing is, everybody stops there and they go, you know what, Pastor? I'm not a fornicator. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not covetous. I'm not an idolater. You know, Paul was so awesome. He didn't stop there. He went into deeper things. He said, For which things the sake, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Verse 6. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these <laughs> anger, wrath, Malice. You know what malice is? It is being happy for somebody's misfortune. Well, couldn't happen to a better person. Amen. Y'all are quiet. That's why, Jesus, that's why the word of God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Amen. When you pray for your enemies, God will deal with them. But don't pray for them to get paid back. Because then you've crossed over the line into maliciousness. Amen. But he says, anger, wrath, malice, malice blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore... Not wrath, not anger, not malice, not blasphemy, not filthy communication, not uncleanliness or fornication or covetousness or idolatry. But put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Are you and I the elect of God tonight? Yes. Put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy. In other words, let mercy come from down deep within you. From the depth of your heart. He said, Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Put on love, because that's when you're really, when love is perfected, you love your brother as Christ loved the church. Amen. You do. People say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just can't stand that person. I said, let me tell you something. John the Beloved said, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you say you love your God whom you haven't seen? I'm going to tell you, when you love Jesus and you know his love, you love other people. And there have been some people in my life that have been hard to love. But I got on my face and I said, God, help me. I had one person in my 22 years of being in this church that if I could have put my foot in their rear end, I would have. I don't think in 22 years there was only one time that I actually was walking through the church and I thought, you know what, they're on that side and I'm walking on this side. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to hear their voice. Don't look at me like you're a saint and you've never had a feeling like that. We all have but the Spirit of God touched me and He said, number one, you can't forget being a pastor for a second. You can't be a Christian and act like that. 
And so I got on my face and I said, God, help me. And I poured my heart out. And I said, Lord, I want you to forgive me. I want to show them the love of God and, and extend that to them. And only you can do that by your power and your grace, by your spirit through me. And do you know, God gave me a supernatural love for that person. The person that I wanted to leave the church, God changed my heart and I didn't want them to leave. And God gave me a love for them. Amen. They're not here tonight. Amen. It's all right. <laughs> but you know, one day, not too long after that, they said, we're leaving. We're going to be moving. And I thought, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't want them to go at that time. God had put a love in my heart. That's what he does. So, so Paul says in, to, to the Colossians, live this way. Put on Christ. This is how John became the person that we read about. Not the person he was in the beginning, but the person he became in the gospel of John. I close. This is God's whole plan. And it only happens, this work of God, in the presence of an almighty God by His Spirit. And I don't know how He does it, but He does it. It's like my dad used to say, I said, how does God do it, Dad? He said, I don't know, son. I said, please, you got to tell me, how does he do it? He said, I don't know. How does a black and white cow eat green grass and make white milk and yellow butter? I said, I don't know. He said, I don't know either, but he does, doesn't he? Or she does, doesn't she? I said, yes. He said, son, just let God work in your life. Don't try to figure it out. Just ask him to do it. Amen. Only then will you put off your shoes and recognize His holy ground or his, the ground you're on is holy whenever you're in His presence. Or you'll be like Isaiah who said, I'm a man of unclean lips when he was in the presence of God, Isaiah 6. God changed John clearly by His writings. In his old age, John would travel preaching, Beloved, and he would speak, he would be preaching and he would say, Beloved, listen, Love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. He who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He would go from church to church, so full of the Spirit of God, and just simply say in his old age, love one another. That was his message. Peter was changed through failure, but God changed him. Paul was changed by a direct confrontation. James was changed. By the resurrection appearance. And John was changed by being with Jesus throughout his life. And God deals with us individually. And it's his dealing by his spirit that cannot be overestimated or underestimated. We need his abiding presence to see us change. And so my encouragement to you is just stay before the Lord. He'll heal your marriage. Stay before the Lord. He'll heal your relationships with your family members, your children, your spouses, people at work. He'll change everything. 